right. We began a series a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to go today and, and next week and complete it, but uh, the theme of praying for rain. In Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expresses, teaches us how to pray, and he says, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, by the way, the, the passages that we've been reading on Sunday mornings are passages of praise. Sometimes we need to just be mindful of all the reasons we have to just praise God for who He is. And uh, those are what those readings are about, just to remind us why we're here. And we're not here for social interaction. Uh, we're here to worship God. But Jesus says, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a church, it's our job, our duty, our mission to um, make things on earth like it is in heaven. And that starts with me. I can't control what others do, but I can control what I do. And, and that has to do with the reign of Jesus in my life. We've talked about different ways how Jesus expresses his reign, and, and it's expressed through service. And, and uh, well, you know, just a little bit ago, and, and I even meant to mention this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, I, I just picked out some people who were doing different things behind the scenes that um, express the reign of Jesus in their lives. You know, every mother in here that has a little one, that's an expression of the reign of Christ. There are a whole lot easier things that they could be doing than trying to uh, take care of a baby during worship. Um, when, uh, you know, we had children, I was not able to help Kim at all. I was never there, so it was all her job. And, boy, I'll tell you, I don't think she worshipped for about 12 years. Uh, you know, it was, it was something. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a job, a task, and you're just worn out when you're done. And sometimes you can throw your hands up and say, what's the use? I don't get anything out of it. I, I can't. Um, that effort put forth is an expression of God's reign in your life. And, um, we, we appreciate that. But, um, tonight, or this morning, I want us to look at another way in which God reigns in us. And by the way, the reign of Jesus, the kingdom of God is, well, again, Jesus gave us a, a glimpse of it as he came and he cast out demons. He caused the deaf to hear, the, the blind to see, the lame to walk. He raised the dead. And that's a preview of the nature of the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want him to have reign in my life. There are kingdoms that have made note, uh, their, their mark on history but for all the wrong things. Babylon, the book of Habakkuk says, that nation is a bitter and hasty nation. It's not the way you want your reign to be remembered as. Rome was that nation, that empire that, uh, whose reign brought many Christians to their death. And in more modern times, we think of Nazi Germany and, and that regime and, and how many millions of people died because of the reign of Hitler and, and Stalin. And, uh, you know, you can just go, well, the Cambodia, the uh, Khmer Rouge, uh, the, the millions of people that have just been put to death. And that's their legacy. The reign of certain individuals is nothing but death and destruction. The reign of Jesus 
completely opposite. What can you say bad about the reign of Jesus? Jesus calls us to a way of life, a way of holiness, a standard of living that is gracious and kind that anybody would want. In fact, as Paul writes in Galatians and he talks about the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit, he said concerning the fruit of the Spirit of about which there is no law. Nobody makes laws against love your neighbor and being kind and compassionate. That's the reign of Christ. Well, how do we express the reign? Well, let me give you a third way. We've talked about service and and righteousness last week. Today, let's talk about love. That's how we express the reign of Jesus. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, you know, as I said, if I said Hitler, images come up. Uh, If I said Stalin, uh, you know, Nero, whoever, there, there are certain images that come up. What is the reign of Jesus to look like? Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Love is the mark of the reign of Jesus. For Hitler, it was death, genocide. For Jesus, it is love. So how do I express that love and how do I allow Jesus to reign in me and reign on my life? Well, I'm going to give you three things this morning and then the lesson will be yours. Ways to express love. Now, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and read about the love of Christ and and all the qualities of it, the characteristics. It doesn't envy. It's not puffed up and all that great exhaustive uh, study right there. But let me give you three things that I believe express the reign of Jesus in our lives through love. The first one is this. Love, I believe, demands that we mutually confess our sins to one another. Um, when I was in college, I made a friend with a guy who lived in Michigan at the time, and we were running around together for a little bit, and, and uh, it was a Friday night, I remember. And he said, oh, I've got to be home by 8 o'clock. And I said, well, how come? And he said, well, I've got to call my prayer partner. And I said, your prayer partner? What's that about? He said, well, every Friday at 8 o'clock, I have to call a guy. He lived in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he said, I have to confess my sins to him. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, well, does he confess his sins to you? And he said, no. Uh, He's my discipling partner. And and I uh, tell him every thing that I've done wrong, and even things that I've thought about doing wrong that I didn't even do. And maybe you've heard of that and, and some of the things that were involved in that discipling movement uh, from a few years ago. It's still out there. But what that does is creates a really a, an unlevel playing field. If I know every weakness of you and you know nothing of me, that gives me quite a bit of power over you. And I can manipulate you by the, the information that I have. That is not what God calls for when he calls for us to pray for each other. In fact, if you have your Bible, you might want to look at James chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, confess your faults one to another, one to another, and pray for one another. This is reciprocal. It's not you confess all your sins to me. It's we confess to each other. 
that we struggle, that we have sins, that we make mistakes, and then we pray for one another. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The way we express our love, the reign of Christ through love, I believe one way is that we confess our sins to each other. We need to be a community of people. This needs to be a safe place where if I respond and I say I'm having trouble, I I need help, I'm weak, I need strength, I, I desire to do what's right but don't always act in accordance with that desire, I need to know that the people here understand that. And they're on my side. And they won't judge me, they won't write me off, but they'll pray with me and for me because they too are in the same boat. They know what it's like to struggle with sin. We need to be a people, a church, that confesses our faults to one another where it's safe to do so. I really believe we are that. I believe it is safe to do this. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 talks about the spirit and the bride say come. Now, this great invitation is given by God, chapter 22, uh, is given by God And it's not only an invitation by God, but it's an invitation by his people. Come, take of the waters of life freely. These who are assembled here today are for each other. We're not against each other. We're not sitting back looking suspiciously at one another. We know what it's like to live in the flesh and to desire to be like Jesus. We know the struggle, the battle. We know how sometimes we fail. But we also know that we're among people who can help us to be strong. That's what it means to let Jesus reign in us as we demonstrate our love for each other. I think we have to be careful, though, as we confess our faults. I think there are two extremes that we can find ourselves in. One is this holier-than-thou attitude that says, I don't have anything to confess. Um, Are you kidding me? I wonder why sometimes that when God lists the things that are an abomination to him, that pride hits the top of his list. A proud look. A haughty look. Well, from God's perspective, I get it. Because he sees us and he knows exactly who we are and how weak we are and how how, uh, stained our life is. And for us to pretend to one another, I don't even understand how you could ever do something like that. What in the world were you thinking? How could you ever? I would never. Really? Maybe it's just your choice of sin that's different. But surely you understand how people sin. And I'll tell you, if we cop this holier-than-thou attitude, you know what won't take place here? Confession of sin. How can I confess to people who act like they don't understand what it means to make a mistake? It's hard enough to confess that I've made a mistake to myself and to God, but how can I confess that to people who act like they can't even comprehend how or why I do that? Holier-than-thou attitudes. We've got to be aware of that. The other extreme is that when we confess our sins, we want to confess all the gory details and we want to tell everybody, and we almost tell it in a, in a 